Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Art of Charm podcast, a show designed to help you win at work, love, and life. Now, we know you have what it takes to reach your full potential, and that's why every week we share with you interviews and strategies to help you develop the right social skills and mindsets to succeed. You shouldn't have to settle for anything less than extraordinary. Over the last 15 years, we have trained thousands of clients to unlock their charisma, supercharge their social skills, and build relationships that they deserve. We have worked with CEOs, military special operators, Olympic athletes, and billionaires to reach their full potential. I'm Johnny. And I'm AJ, and we're so excited to share with you those exact secrets. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Let's kick off today's show. We have none other than Dr. Carolyn Leaf. She is a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist with a master's and PhD in communication pathology, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. Since the early 1980s, she's researched the mind-brain connection, the nature of mental health, and the formation of memory. She was one of the first in her field to study how the brain can change with directed mind input, our favorite neuroplasticity. Dr. Leaf is also a best-selling author of Switch On Your Brain, Think, Learn, Succeed, Think and Eat Yourself Smart, and many more. And today we're talking about her latest book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. Welcome to the show, Dr. Leaf. Thank you. It's great to be with you both. I'm excited to talk to you about something that seems like our favorite subject, neuroplasticity. <laughs> That and mental mess, for sure. Yeah. So let's kick things off. I'd love our audience to hear what you define as mental mess. I think we all kind of have an idea, but what are your thoughts on what mental mess is? It's basically not having a managed mind. So it all comes down to the fact that if you're human, you wake up in the morning, you go to bed at night, and in that space of being awake, you're experiencing life. And life is so challenging that we are experimenting, and it's so easy to make a mess, and it's so human. We've got to clean it up. We can't live with it. Like we clean our teeth every day, and we clean our houses, and we clean up after eating. We need to clean our mental mess up. And there's just not enough attention paid to mind, lots of attention paid to getting our body right and exercise and, and that's so important I teach on that too but if your mind's not in it you can lose up to 80% of the benefit of that good nutrition and food anyway so essentially cleaning up your mental mess is a very human activity you're human you're alive you're a mess but you don't have to stay that way and you can actually manage it and that's kind of where the concept comes from well, what I really enjoy about your podcast is how you share your own stories of mental mess and Johnny and I laugh as podcasters and coaches we always get asked, well, you guys must be so charming. You don't have any issues. So do you <laughs> have your own dealings with mental mess? 
Oh, of course. I love that. You don't have any issues. I wish there was one human on this planet who actually didn't have any issues and then we would all be, then we would actually be dead. <laughs> so obviously I do. And that's where, you know, I started off as a clinician nearly 38 years ago. So that's a lot of years. I've been in the field for nearly 40 years and done lots of clinical research and actually did some of the first neuroplasticity research back in the late 80s when they didn't think that the brain could actually change. And my professors challenged me when I said, hey, your mind can change, so therefore your brain can change, so therefore we should be able to manage this process. And they actually told me that that's a ridiculous question. And I've actually did, did a TED talk on this, on the ridiculous question of neuroplasticity. And in that stage, it was not accepted that the brain could change. So from that time, I moved, fast forward all these years, clinical practice, research, etc. I applied it into very soon saw that this is not just something for therapy, for extreme cases of extreme trauma or extreme traumatic brain injuries or Alzheimer's or learning disabilities or dementias, autism. It's not just for that, but this is basic life skills. Your mind is always with you. You know, you wake up with your mind, you go to sleep with your mind, you eat with your mind. We're using our mind now. You know, your, your mind's always active. So if you don't understand what it is, how are you going to manage it? So from there, I realized that this is a life, you know, from there, my research moved into very much, how can we apply this on a day-to-day basis as well as therapeutically? And how can we manage our things like our traumas? And because everyone's got traumas to a certain extent, yes, shorts on a continuum, some more than others. So obviously along the way, myself and my family, I've got four children, been married for 34 years. We've been our lab rats, you know, myself and my family have been lab rats. And it, honestly, this is like, I am a mess still, but there's a huge difference now is I recognize it quickly and I know how to manage it and I can get through it quickly. So I make it work for me. I'm not frightened of the mess. I know how to recognize it. I know what to do about it. And that is transformational in giving you that kind of mental space where you feel like you can cope with life. So from the big stuff to the traumas and the toxic habits which show up as patterns in our life to the little things like how do you manage the moment by moment little things like the Instagram imposter syndrome reaction and the people pleasing and the ruminating and the little arguments that pop up and the horrible text or email that throws you and you've got to go in a business meeting and all that stuff, the day-to-day stuff to the big stuff. So that's why I developed the whole concept of the neurocycle into a day-to-day as well as trauma application. Well, we certainly take on a lot of damage, trauma, and loss throughout the years. And everyone has aspirations, or at least somewhere inside of capabilities and things that they like to achieve in life. But without cleaning up the mental mess, they're not going to find the capacity to be able to, to handle what it's going to take to reach those goals. And I think somewhere in the early adult life, people start to look at the mess, they don't know how to deal with it, and they give up on those aspirations. What do you say to those people who are are trying to grapple with the idea of coming to terms with this mess and actually wanting to do something about it? It starts with the recognition that we do have agency. We do have the ability to control. And that has been really stamped out over the last 40 years. And I've been fortunate to speak from this, from seeing this change over the last 40 years. And I say fortunate because I've watched the change as a practitioner, as well as just generally functioning in this world, etc. So what I've seen is over the last 40 years, we've seen a move to medicalizing misery. Audio, I'm holding a brain, it's not real, it's in a skull. <laughs> but we as neuroscience has developed, and that's been my field, but mine's also been mind-brain research. 
So we've become so caught up in the brain that everything's been about the brain. And I don't know if you've noticed the language, but as a clinician and as a scientist, I've noticed and I've seen and it's evident in the research become neuro-reductionistic. We become so focused on the brain and everything's about the brain that if you have any kind of anything, it's your brain. Your brain made you do it. And that's the mind and the brain. The two words, mind and brain, have also been infused interchangeably, but they're totally different. Mind is not brain. And mind actually drives brain and mind drives the neuroplasticity of the brain. So the brain has the ability to change, obviously. Neuroplasticity is the ability of the brain to change, but the brain can't change itself. And that's the misnomer. We've had this whole thing that it's brain 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 and and you can literally medicalize misery but that's not the case the brain if you're dead the brain does nothing so the difference between you and a dead brain you know is your aliveness and your aliveness is your mind and your mind is always with you so what I would say to those people, what I do say to those people, because that's quite an excellent question, but it's, it's something that people do think about how, you know, they've been through so much, where do you even begin? Why should I even start? How do I? Is the message that this is in your brain and that you have a brain disease is hopeless. It's not hopeful. And that hopelessness that's been taken away from people has actually been shown scientifically to reduce lifespan. Get stuck. Can I do? There's no hope. And they just kind of live with the label and live into it because whatever you decide with your mind is going to be the case. That's what you'll follow. That's the direction you drive the neuroplasticity of your brain, the changes in your brain. So there's a population study that was done, and I put this in the book as well, that between 1996 and 2014, they noticed a very scary trend. And that trend was that for decades long, people have been living longer, but suddenly this trend reversed. And they say that if you track back the reason why, people are dying 8 to 25 years younger from preventable lifestyle diseases. So here we're living, fast forward 40 years later, in this advanced technological medical age, neuroscientific age, and people are dying younger. So we've advanced in one direction and we've gone completely backwards in the other direction. And the age bracket most affected is the 25 to 65-year-old, which are people in the prime of their career, just getting going and you know, families, so kids are losing parents and the workforce is losing great workers and we track that back to mind mind management so we've given a hopeless message that's where it's come from they're tracking it back to mind management so for 40 years summary we have focused on brain we've ignored mind brain is one percent of who we are mind is about 99 percent of who we are if you ignore the 99 percent you ignore the humanity. You ignore the context, the story, the narrative, the causes. People are in life, experiencing life. And when you're anxious and depressed and frustrated, that's not a brain disease. That is a normal human response to adverse circumstances. And yes, it can get extreme. I mean, if you have a continuum, it can get very extreme because if you have in a war-torn country or multiple traumatic abuse or sexual abuse repeatedly or bullying and like severe, whatever, whatever it is, the more extreme, the more your mind is going to receive that process that build that into the brain and your brain builds thoughts into trees and that's yeah the help. book has these great examples of brain scans between the two groups and shows just how big of an impact this has on your ability to think and feel and light up those brain scans and that's a healthy tree and that's a toxic tree and every experience we have becomes a physical reality in our brain and our bodies, in our DNA, and our minds in three places. So if you're experiencing something toxic, it goes all over you, brain, body, and mind. So you consume with this stuff. And if you're told that this is not manageable, if you're told, oh, you're having symptoms of a brain disease, and you're just going to have to live with it, where's the hope? 
So people don't know they can change. So my message, and it sounds like your message too, is one of, hey, listen, if you're feeling depressed or anxious, you're being a normal human. Life is challenging, especially now in the pandemic with all the unfamiliarity and threats and so on. But we were already in a terrible place before that. In fact, humanity's always been a mess. This is not anything new. The whole thing of we've got one in four people with depression and one in five with anxiety and mental health is on the increase, that is just scary statistics. What the truth is, and here's the real truth, 100% of people have anxiety, depression, fear, worry, trepidation, just at different varying levels, different continuum, different life experiences, but it's very normal. And the big key thing is, is that if we don't manage that, if we don't see it as a helpful messenger and then manage it, go from helpful messenger awareness to beyond that, you're going to get stuck in it. And that's why people don't change. Yeah, we actually give them hope. Exactly. Many people feel like they're stuck in this position and there's nothing they can do about it. And part of that is we are taught and we believe that planting those toxic trees may help us. It's a pattern that we pick up from our family, from society. What do you say to those of us who maybe have a forest of toxic trees right now, who want to start planting some healthy trees, some new beliefs and thoughts that can empower them instead of harm them? Well, that's an excellent question too. And so glad you mentioned forest because we literally do have a forest in our mind and in our brain. So these trees, every experience that you've ever had from a certain point in the womb to the age that you're at now has been translated by your mind into your brain as these protein structures. And this is the reality of it. And that hopefully most of them are this, but there's also a lot of these. And some will have more of these than these. And some of these are huge and some are not so big. And so we have this huge, huge forest. And so if that is in our an unconscious mind and in our brain. And essentially what we've got to do is we've got to learn to pay attention to the signals that these are producing. And we've got to then, you know, capture those and you've got to embrace and process and reconceptualize. You can't just be aware. You can't just basically say, okay, so here's this thing in my life. I'm just going to numb it with a drug. So that's like going into a garden with weeds and you've got a weed and all you do is chop the head off. It's still got a root. It's going to grow straight back. So when you use drugs or you use conditioning type, sort of conditioning behaviors and that kind of thing, it, it doesn't deal with the core issue. The only way out is through. So you have to then pay attention to these things, the signals. And the ones that are the most dominant will give you the loudest signals. It's a constant process of listening to the signals and then working through them in a very systematic way. So we should be much more systematic, much more organized with our mind management. You know, we get that with exercise. You don't just go to work out once. You go five or six times times a week you eat healthy every day but the mind you think oh quick fix give me the seven steps the five steps quick fix mentality it doesn't work like that you have to treat your mind in exactly the way that you treat your body you clean your teeth every day clean up as i mentioned so you've got to clean up your mind every day so it's a matter of responding to these in the order of the most dominant signal and then working through those in cycles of 63 days and the work that I've done, the neuro, which is the system I've developed, is called the NeuroCycle. It's not a new technique. It doesn't replace therapy or counseling or coaching. It simply is how you, from a neuroscientific perspective, how do you use your mind to get your mind under control to drive the neuroplasticity of your brain? So that is knowledge that gives people hope. And anyone, doesn't matter who you are, you do not need to be a PhD or a therapist to be able to manage your mind. I mean, if you think of it like this, if you're going to therapy or coaching or counseling and people come to you for that, you see them maybe one or two hours a week, but you've got to live with yourself 24-7. So in order to live with yourself, that's what I bring to the table. I bring that first base where it's number the priority. You're, you've got to first get your mind working 
for you, you've got to know how to manage your mind because you live with your mind, you live with yourself. And then when you're doing that, then the stuff that you teach, they're going to respond so much more efficiently to you because your mind's ready to receive it. I mean, if you're not ready to receive that great new eating plan and that diet, and you're just going to nod your head and get the information and it's nice to know, but you're never going to apply it. So it's got, your mind's got to be right. You know, that example again of the toxic tree, many of us fall into this pattern where we're chopping off some branches We've identified that this is a toxic belief, but it's easier to go on a run or rush it under the rug or take some drugs or eat some food to make us feel good and deal with it. But it's getting to the root and pulling it out and allowing the great plants, the healthy plants to grow and create those new pathways in your brain that stimulate you to success. I think it's that recognition of how do I actually pull this out versus just deal with it. And many of us are going through life of just dealing with it, and it's created unhealthy relationship with our mind. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. 
Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. So good. That's such a brilliant example. You know, I often use the analogy of this being a very, you know, the, from Snow White, the poison apples. So this, this tree is like full of poison apples. This is all the living dead in Game of Thrones. I mean, this is not dead. It looks dead. But this is what we're living with. And if you don't manage it, imagine this is full of apples. And if you go up and you just bump it slightly, the apples start falling on your head and you're just like knocked out with all... That's how we're going around. We feel knocked out. We feel overwhelmed by all these things hitting us. But we actually can control that state. It doesn't mean they're going to go away. You've got to deal with the stuff. And the only way out is through. So the only way to actually reconceptualize and reconstruct this tree is to go through a process. And it does take time. We all think it takes 21 days to build a habit. But it's actually 63. And there's been so much misinformation around that. That's why I actually did the research. There's about five studies done in the world. Mine's one of them showing that it doesn't take 21 one days, but it takes a full 63 days to form a habit that actually changes behavior. Not just a little habit, but a habit that actually changes behavior. So things happen in 21 days, but not sufficient to change behavior. So as, as we need to get much more systematized and organized in how we're going to find the root and pull it out. Otherwise, you're just like dealing. And we're going to make mistakes, but that's part of it. Messiness needs to be accepted to changed. Within messiness, we can grow, repair and grow. But if we deny messiness and pretend it's not there, then it just festers under the surface. And we see that 3% of leaders, only 3% of leaders, and you guys would be leaders, so you'd be in the 3% because you have a community that you influence. Only 3% of leaders are talking about mental health or having these kind of conversations. If anyone's battling, oop, go to the doctor. You know, think of it like this. You go to dinner with a bunch of friends and you sit down and you say, anyone knows you've been going through something. And then you sit down and say, I went to the doctor, to the psychiatrist today, and they told me I have a neuropsychiatric brain disease, that I have this neurobiological thing going on in my brain and that I have clinical depression. I mean, already you're looking at them okay, now what do I do? How do I treat them? You're going to look at them differently. But if you went to your that dinner, same person, take that away what I just said, and you say, hey, I've had the most awful week. This has happened. That has happened. This And that triggered all these reactions from the past. And I suddenly had these flashbacks and I realized this and I'm, you know, in therapy, this, and people will say, oh, wow, how can we help you? They'll lean in and you've got community, you've got interaction, you've got deep, meaningful connections. And that's how we process. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be being allowed to have our story validated. But just to say you are an it, you are clinically depressed as an it, and then stick you in a box, now you've got to live there, where's the hope? But just the mere act of shifting your perspective has already placed you in a more resilient position. Keeping it increases your vulnerability to disease by 35 to 98%. That's insane. But by saying, hey, this is okay, it's okay to be a mess, I'm going to clean it, no matter how long it takes, that decreases that resilience, that vulnerability to disease. It's just like so logical. To, for us to apply it, but we're in a world that doesn't apply that kind of logic. Unfortunately, that's why I do what I do. Well, to go along with that, I always end up saying this. To me, it's very important to understand this, which is I've been eating my whole life, but I didn't learn how to eat until I was in my late 20s, early 30s. I know exercise is good for me, but I didn't really learn how to exercise and even to what you said of there's a difference between going to the gym because I feel like I have to, to I'm going to the gym because this makes me feel great and this makes me better. That's a two different mentalities. And then lastly, 
well, I've been thinking this way my whole entire life, but no one trained me or told me that I could change the way my thought processes, my cognitive processes. And I had to come to that in through self-development. And these are three main areas that why are we not paying attention to these more when they dictate our life experience and what it's going to have? And more importantly, the ripple effect that it has in society and the people that are closest to us. Oh, brilliant, brilliant insights. And I wish more people had your insight. I agree with you. This isn't a skill that we should be glossing over. Now there's a lot more awareness and there is some kind of you know awareness of eating. But you know, if you don't get your mind right, you won't learn it anyway. It's very easy to see who benefits from a style of eating that we had learned with the four food groups and everything else that goes with that, which is as you start to learn, you're like, wait a minute, this is not what I was eating as a child or what I was told in the middle of Saturday morning cartoons as I had a giant bowl of sugar with a big spoon in it. exactly. So it's very easy to follow the money trail. But but with that, there is a bunch of those conventional wisdoms that need to be attacked and scrutinized because we're paying the price for now. And as you mentioned, with the pandemic, I'm absolutely terrified because I don't see any of the things that we are all discussing here being propagated through mainstream news. All we keep hearing is things that are counter to our the thought process, and you discussed this, and, and you've mentioned it in several different ways here already, of the way we think forces certain narratives and a, and a chemical reaction that goes with that. How are we supposed to be resilient and healthy in the face of a pandemic when we're being fed gloom and doom exactly. 24-7? It's to be bathed in toxic False. I mean, we really are. We're literally living in it. And there's some good, obviously, in amongst it. And thank goodness for the wellness industry that's countering this. And, the, and thank goodness for social media that there is a level of, that there is a grassroots movement. And how many scientists have jumped on board in that in this grassroots. So thank goodness that's the, that's the great part of technology. 40 years ago, just to kind of, kind of paint a picture, the industrialized food movement, the big money-making machine began at the same time as the psychotropic money machine began. And at the same time, technology Technology was developing and technology is fantastic. Without it, we, as we all know we'd suffer. But mismanagement of technologies, we, 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 we've got to teach ourselves how to use technology. We've got to teach our kids. You've got to have breaks from the screen. You've got to, you can't just gather data. You have to process data. So we have changed eating habits. We have changed how we move. We've changed all these things over the, and we've changed how we look at a human. So humans become a machine that you feed with all this junk and that you feed with all this technology. And that if they feel sick and break down, oh, it's just something in here, give another chemical. And that mechanistic avatar view has resulted in people dying younger. And yes, they're propagating it now with the media. It's crazy. Caroline, and here's another one. Our communication has changed, which feeds that toxic tree. AJ and I were just discussing this in our marketing materials. When it comes to getting people's attention, you need to use absolutes. You always or never do this or stop doing this to get people's attention. However, listening to some of your work, we have to use them in advertising and marketing, but you don't want to talk to your significant other with using you never or you always are using these absolutes because the narrative that that forms in somebody's mind feeds that toxicity and their overall health. 
Oh, absolutely. It's so true. And absorbing it. Between the time that you open your eyes and you go to bed at night, you are being exposed to somewhere between 8,000 and 10,000 different experiences. And every one of those experiences is being processed through your mind. And your mind is literally this gravitational field that keeps you epigenetically, keeps your brain and body alive. So no mind, dead person. And it's so scientifically, we talk about incredible work done by Nobel Prize winners in gravitational fields. And each of us has our own unique one. But those gravitational fields are supposed to be kind of quite flowy, like the sea. And then when we are in a mind management state, we can have stuff going on. But if we're in a mind management state, it looks different in the brain to when we're unmanaged. So that energy goes through the brain and then that the brain responds energetically. Okay, so now if we are bathed in this toxicity coming at us from every angle and we are not managing, we are literally sitting under a million different apple trees hitting us with poison apples, we have to teach the resilience to be able to stand back and say, hey, I don't want that in my head. And we can, but we have been almost led to believe that we can't. I mean, Generation Z and the millennials down are the first generation to grow up so drugged. They are the most drug generation ever in history, which is insane. 20, 30, 40 years ago, if I did a lecture, let's say 30, even 30 years ago, if I did a lecture at a school about the mind, their questions would be about depression, anxiety. Now, if I did a lecture, they would say, okay, what's the medication for that treatment? What's the diagnosis? So it's all medicalized. Our kids are growing, not mine, <laughs> because they've grown up with the opposite of this, but in general have grown up with this thing that, hey, life's terrible. You have no control. It's all your brain and body, and you're based in this toxic environment. Now, that toxic environment is actually changing. We can block it going in, but if you don't know how, you're going to absorb it. And then if that's in you, it shortens your telomeres, which is your DNA. And I showed him, and there's, I've actually really got a cool picture. Yeah, the book has these great examples of brain scans between the two groups and shows just how big of an impact this has on your ability to think and feel and light up those brain scans. These are actually, I put, managed to get my publisher to print colored graphs to show the impact and this is looking inside the brain these actual brain scans and looking at the energy response of the brain and gray is what you want this is someone in the con in my experimental trial i'm in my trial this, they're in the experimental group so this is what you want this is like a normal wave flow alpha beta data gamma you've heard of those things and it's supposed to flow like the beach big waves little waves you know, the breakers on the beach, etc. This person doesn't have that. They've got a blue brain, flat line. That means low energy, low oxygen, low blood flow, holes in the brain, literally non-functional. This person was saying, I am depression. They had been diagnosed with clinical depression and they had been told, you are depression. And they, that's all that the initial narrative on day one was all about, I am depression, I'm hopeless, I can't do this, I can't. Everything that they couldn't do. And this was a millennial. And I have quite a lot about millennials in, in this section, actually. And this is one of the case studies. This person said, I am depression. Their biological age, now biological age is, shows that the health of your body. Their biological age was way older than their chronological age. In other words, they were aging rapidly. They had a body at day one of a sickly 65, 70-year-old, and they were in their 30s. Now you have that, you're making a million cells every second and the quality of those cells is determined on your mind. 
And we see that in the telomeres on the DNA. So they had short, unhealthy telomeres. This, the experimental subjects then did the neurocycle, which is what's in this book. And I'm not saying that I have the elixir of life. I'm just saying that I've studied the mind-brain. And this system has got 38 years of research on how you can get this crazy mind of ours under control to change the biology. So this person who had had clinical depression, tried every drug, tried every treatment, was checking out. They literally were checking out. This was their last attempt. Then did this neurocycle daily in an app version. They didn't get therapy. This is the key. You've got this power in you. You've got to live with yourself 24-7. So they did this for 15 to 45 minutes every day. By day 21, this person was crying. They were saying, I'm not depression. I'm not hopeless. I am depressed because of. Depression is a signal. It's not my identity. That's why you see the green, which shows that their identity is changing and shifting. And they said, listen, I'm still anxious and still depressed, but I now know why. And then you see there's even more gray and more green. They said, okay, I understand depression has come from this and this and this. Depression is a signal. I know I'm still going to have depression, but I know what to do. And their behavior was changing. They were back at work. They were back sleeping again. Their sleeping had gone from literally not sleeping, having little bits of sleep at night to nearly 25% to 35% improved sleep by this point, which may not sound a lot, but it is a huge amount. Just 5% improvement in your sleep will change your life. And they were also back at work, back in relationships. They'd gone from literally suicidal in 63 days to changing their behavior. And where there's still tons of work, this is a lifestyle. It's not going to just go away. Like they've got to clean their teeth. They've got to keep on doing this. This over the page very quickly is someone who didn't get the experiment, didn't get the neurocycle. The red brain shows someone who's got a tsunami in their brain. It was a mess when they came in, biological age, crazy. This person with the blue brain, they by the time they got the gray brain, the first person over here, by the time we got to this point, their biological and chronological age, in other words, they were in their 30s, and the body over here was in the 60s. By the time they got here, it was back to 30s. So in other words, their longevity increased and their vulnerability disease decreased. Their cortisol levels were through the roof. Their inflammation was through the roof. But with mind management, we changed that. This particular person with a red brain, they just got worse and worse and worse as they became aware because of all the testing we did. They became super aware, which goes to all the mindfulness practices people talk about. In You know, you, you can become aware, but if you don't manage, if you, you've got to go beyond awareness. You have to manage what you're aware of. And they didn't. They became aware but had no management, so they just got worse and worse and worse. Obviously, we gave them the neurocycle once they, nine weeks, we gave it to them because they were a wreck. And that was the control versus, I mean, I can go on and on. I put a lot of examples in the book. It's such an important point to make because many of us wouldn't pick up a smoking habit. We wouldn't start eating fast food every day because we know the risk, but we don't know the risk that these thoughts and beliefs have on our physical health. We think we're just trying to deal with it mentally. We're afraid to share it with our friends and family. We're ashamed of it because of the chemicals and the labels and everything else that go along with poor mental health. Yet we're all going through this struggle and you know, I want to talk about an example that you gave on your podcast about using the neurocycle because I think everyone can relate to this. And you were talking about being on your way to the gym with your daughter and, and having an argument. People love this story. I can't, sorry, I don't need to interrupt you, but this story seems to have got people. And it was just such a spontaneous thing. I thought, hey, let me do a podcast on this because it was so effective. So, And it's so real because we've all been there, certainly during this pandemic, especially where the people we know and love and care about still get on our nerves and something else triggers us and we're in an argument. And then we feel intense regret afterwards. Like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? How, why did I behave that way? 
So can you walk us through that example that you gave around using this neurocycle so we can actually start to manage this mess that we're all struggling with? We were on our way to a workout at Orange Theory and I had woken up like on edge that day and I was just like ratty and just something was worrying me and I hadn't quite processed it and it affected my sleep so I was tired. I jumped in the car, it's two minutes away, we drove together and in, in the car, Dominique, I've got four kids, three work for me and my husband. So we're a family business, super easy, we live, work together, even though our studio is separate from the house, we're still together 24-7. So here she says something to me and I'm this you know wonderful mental health expert and mother and I totally snap at her, get into this argument. Really, I mean, there was no reason to react like I did. There was, I was just, I said the horrible things and she got upset with me and here we had this little fight in three minutes, we managed to get ourselves totally worked up. We get to the Orange Theory, it's time to go in and register, get on the treadmill and we had all this built up energy. So the first thing is that you have got this energy, energy's never lost, energy's transferred. So either I could keep that energy boiling and keep toxic and keep mad and mess up the whole day and do whatever or I could neurocycle. So I got onto the treadmill, took that energy that was built up in me from the argument and started on the treadmill like crazy, going as fast as I've never been that fast on the treadmill. And I started neurocycling. So first of all, I gathered awareness. Gather. Notice the word gather. I didn't stand under the apple tree and get into guilt, shame, condemnation, everything. You're the mother, you this, how can you do that, this, that. I just thought, no, well, I did it. I messed up. I own it. I got frustrated. I got irritated. I gathered awareness of my sick. I then noticed my body in the car, my my body was very tense. I was driving. I drove too fast. Um, I didn't go break the speed limit, but I mean, I was I was was not driving well. I was tensed up. My hands were tensed up. My body was in it. So I took a notice of those signals, and I also took notice of my behaviours. My words were short tip sentences, harsh words, body movement, loud tone, all that stuff that just generated a mess and was making me a mess, her mess, and me a mess. And then I noticed my perspective. I was totally, I'm right, you're wrong. You know, I mean, that's ridiculous. You're making assumptions. You don't know what the other person's thinking. The quantum physics shows us that never assume because you're going to be at least 70% chance of being wrong. And you should always give the other person a chance to explain before you jump to conclusions. And I know all of this, but in that moment, I didn't do it. So I gathered awareness of those and I reflected. And I, and I said all these things, you should have done this, but you didn't do this. Why? There's a reason why I showed up like that, that that morning. Why did I do that? So instead of condemning myself, I wanted to know why so I could fix it. There's a huge difference there. I could feel totally bad and guilty as a parent and as a leader in mental health. Or I could say, okay, own it. What did you do wrong? There's a reason why I showed up like that. So that my reflection, which is the second step, which is ask, answer, discuss, put the thoughts on trial, put those signals on trial. But I gathered just very quickly. I didn't stand under the apple tree. I stood back and I controlled it. I picked the apples, controlling it with my wise mind, which is your survival mind. And the messy mind. So in the day when we act and we process, our active mind, our conscious mind is very messy. And we need our wise mind, which is our wired for love, survival, optimism, bias, knowing in our knower mind. And, and our biology is wired for that. Our biology, we talk about Nobel Prize winning scientists talk about the biology of the brain and body wired for love. We don't have any structures for this. So when this happens, it distorts and creates the damage in the brain and the body. That's why we've got the telomeres and increased cortisol and blah, 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 all that stuff. So in doing this process, as soon as I decided to gather awareness and reflect and you know do this on the treadmill, the minute I did that, I immediately made stress work for me instead of against me. I shifted those 1,400 neurophysiological responses. So I was in a more resilient state. I increased blood flow to the front of my brain so that I could increase my decision-making and drop my impulsivity. 
in the argument, I was impulsive. Doing the gather awareness, doing the reflect, and then the third step is write. Now, obviously, I don't have a pen and paper on the treadmill. So in the quick, in the moment, what you do for the third step is you visualize like you're making a movie and you watch the whole thing. I rewatched from the time I left the house to the time I got to Orange Theory and got in the, on the treadmill. What did I do? I re-looked at my body movements, my language. So that was like gathering that that was right. And then the fourth step is, it was a big mess. Let's make sense of it. Let's do a mental autopsy. Why was I like that? And that's where I got to the point where I realized, okay, it was because I woke up edgy. I woke up edgy because I hadn't resolved something from the night before. And something that she had said had triggered my concern about that particular issue. So now I had all the reasons. So what's my fifth step? Act to reach action. Okay, well, I can't fix it now, but I want to get the best out of this orange theory. I want to keep my mindset correct so I don't lose my benefit here. And my active reach is to catch her eye, which I did. She was doing a neurocycle at the same time. We caught each other's eye, big smile, forgiveness happened. We both did our workout. Afterwards, it was a race to see who could say sorry first. Now, there's an example of real live action where I caught that. I've become so self-regulated that I can manage and catch. And I say that in my research, you can become 81% in control of these emotions. And just getting, honestly, 10% control, you will feel like a different human. It's that out of control, that that sense of I've got no agency. That's what we hate. You know, there's so many points in there. The one thing that really struck me about it was the fact that you now have that ability to realize all the other reasons that this was firing instead of link it to her and her behavior and just blame her. And many of us just fall to that default. This person did something to me. This person wronged me. It's this person's fault because that's easier than taking ownership and responsibility of the unmanaged mess that you have going on and that toxic forest that you've just continued to let grow without dealing with. And that metaphor of a mess, you know, many of us wait till spring cleaning or it just gets so overwhelming that we have to do it. And you bring up a great point that this is something that you're actively working on. You know this, but you still have to actively work on this. And and that's really what I wanted our audience to see. One is a real life example. And two, that this is something that we have control over, but we have to work on much like going to see the trainer, going to the grocery store to pick the right foods, not the wrong foods. We have to do the exact same thing mentally to succeed. Absolutely. You, you've nailed it there. And it's, it's, it's a process. It does take time. It does take work. And that's exactly, but you can become more self-regulated. And we see from neuroscience, you can actually do this every 10 seconds. When you're consciously awake, you can monitor everything you're doing every 10 seconds. Now, I am not asking you to set your watch. That's not what I'm doing. It's the concept. The concept is that when you're conscious, you actually are able to monitor like we are with each other, we can see each other's faces. That's what we should be doing all the time. As we're speaking, what is the con- the way you've constructed your sentence and delivered that? What impact has that had on that person? Did they understand you? Did they misunderstand you? Have you upset them? Can you adjust your communication? We can get so fast at that. That email, how did you respond? How does this make you feel? Are you making assumptions? You know, it's constantly living in that watch your signals, ask them. You can do it in five seconds. Once you're in that system, you can regulate like that. And then when you're doing that, it's so much easier to do with the big stuff because in the regulating the little things you start seeing oh gosh this is a pattern I always get upset when I get that kind of communication or that kind of trigger or I really seem more depressed than normal or I'm really getting edgy about these things or I've got this sense inside of me that something's wrong I don't know what's true what's going on so 
as soon as you self-regulate, you can recognize those. There's also cycles from the past. We have stuff that passes through epigenetically through the generation. And we say things like, oh, gosh, I'm doing what my mother did or I'm doing what my father did. Or, you know, that's a pattern that passed through the sperm and the ova. Literally, these things pass through. and they, But they don't mean that you're going to do them automatically. It just means that you have the potential. But you can wipe those out too. You can rip those out and reconceptualize. So the process is to embrace and process and reconceptualize. And reconceptualize is not X plus Y equals Z. Not the situation, the new situation, and then you just, you know, like get something, you just completely cover that up with a Z. You're not putting a Band-Aid. That's a Band-Aid approach. What you're doing is you're saying, this is the situation. This is how I should be. This is the mess. This is the argument. This is why I got there. This is where I should be. So now I'm going to do X, Y. I'm going to put them together. Reconceptualize is the recognition that I have done something wrong, but I can manage it. I can change it around. I can see it from another angle. So it's like taking an ugly old house. This is a really easy example. And you buy a house, you're going to renovate it, and you take photos, and it's ugly, and there's moldy carpets and terrible lighting and just awful, dark, and you bash the whole thing down because it's a great neighborhood, and you rebuild this beautiful new space. Now, you're living in this beautiful new reconstructed, but you still remember how it was, but you're living in the new space. So you've changed how the past plays out into your future. You get raped, abused, traumatized, bullied, war, trauma, whatever. That's terrible stuff. That's the origin. That's the source. of. That's the root. Everything starts there. This is your interpretation of that. So basically what you're doing is you are deconstructing and you're reconstructing that into this. An example of this root concept is that right now we're talking about mental health and all that stuff. So people are taking our words And at 400 billion actions per second are converting those words into these little protein trees in your brain that are thoughts. The roots are what I'm saying in our discussion because that's the source. This over here is that everyone's listening and watching. It's their interpretation of what they're hearing in terms of what it means to them and in terms of their life experience. So we all interpret this differently. That's our uniqueness. So this is great. This is healthy. But if it's toxic and you've been abused, then this over here is there's the origin, there's the source. This is your interpretation of it. So therefore, this is going to be how you see yourself. Maybe that's rape and abuse as a child. Shame. Can't form relationships. It's so toxic because it shouldn't have happened. So you blame yourself because you don't know how to make sense of it as a child. This shows up. But anxiety, maybe suicidal thoughts, and battling with relationships, low self-esteem, just not whatever. Because it's just so painful. But that can be changed. When you face it. So for the big stuff like that, you need to work on the five steps in a more systematic way. And then you do the five steps slower over 15 to 45 minutes daily. And in the first 21 days, you're going to take this, identify it, embrace it and reconceptualize it. So the five steps is helping you look at the signals to find the roots, the signals and you're going through the five steps consecutively. Each day, something new is revealed. And then I've shown in the research what happens, like at each time point. So by day 21, we have called gamma peaks, which means that we are actually deconstructed. We've got the new house. So we've actually now changed it. The past is in there. You can still talk about your past, but you've changed how it's playing out into your future. You've now managed it. You own it. It doesn't own you. You control it. The pain is still there, but it's different. It's more like this is part of who I am. It's terrible, but you've disconnected. And then, but it's small. In the forest, this is small. At 21 days, this is too small. It does not have enough energy to get from the non-conscious, which is massive, through the subconscious, which is a bridge, into the conscious mind. And only when something's in the conscious mind consistently, then you're going to have a behavior change. So if you just build this and do nothing, you're not going to change your behavior. 
you're still going to be stuck. And that's when people say things like, I've done the work, but I'm still there. And then it's another 10 years of therapy. You know, this is what happens. I mean, I was interviewing someone the other day who had extensive childhood trauma and religious trauma and all kinds of just one thing after another and literally went to therapy for like 25 years. The majority of that was just constantly going in circles until he actually realized he had to go the whole route, which was the extra 42 days as well. And also, it can't just be talking in circles. You've got to be deconstructing and reconstructing. It's, you know, it's a very organized, systematized process. So you do that for 21 days and then you get this little thought. And then from day... 22 to 63, which is another six weeks, you just practice step five. It takes a minute of your day. It's 42 minutes over 42 days. It's nothing. And that gives this thing enough energy to automatize it, which is the scientific word for making it a habit, which means that it's a very intelligent driving force, but it's strong enough now to impact your behavior. In those situations, upon reflection, you know, looking at your behavior, looking at the reaction it caused in your daughter and feeling regret, that's one thing. Many of us are walking into a situation where we know we may be triggered and we know we may get a negative reaction from the past. Very good point. How do we prepare ourselves for those moments where we might be feeling anxiety or we might be fearful or that trauma in the past is holding us back from achieving the success that we want? My answer is going to be you're going to have to neurocycle. You're going to have to be going through the process. So one of the things you'll recognize to get to that insight that you've just delivered, you would have gone through a level of insight to find your triggers. In the fourth step, which is the recheck, that's when you start unpacking your activators or your triggers. And that's when you start developing the antidotes. So while you're in that process, if possible, you don't want to get into those situations that will trigger you until you've got to the point of this thing at least at the sort of three-week mark, preferably at a 63-day mark. And it's not always realistic because you're probably living, it's very often that we're living with the actual perpetrators. Or And then it's, so often it's unintentional. You can have two people that love each other in a family or in a work environment, but there's certain patterns from your past that they do something that triggers those. So this process of the neuroscience can help you identify those. And once you've identified them, then you can, let's say that there is a good relationship. But they're triggering you because of just maybe it could be a body movement. It could be a sound, a tone in the voice that then brings back the memory of that. And if you haven't processed it, if you've suppressed it, you actually don't even know why you're being triggered. That's a lot of, you get what we call a lot of delta activity in the brain, the conscious brain. So when you're awake, if you've got suppressed stuff, you have way too much delta in the conscious brain. And that means that you're going to have too much over here down the middle. And on the sides over here, you're going to have very high bursts of high beta. And when that happens, your wisdom drops and your impulsivity increases. In a triggered state, that fires up like crazy, that pattern that I've just described. And that's, I mean, your brain is still controlled by your mind. So you can still get that under control. I mean, you can do a quick neurocycle. You can do a 10-second pause breathing exercise. Which I give you a bunch of techniques what to do in that. So you can still gather yourself. But it does take a bit of practice. But the key there is to get to the point where you recognize what those triggers are. And then one of your active reaches may be maybe day 21 or day 18 or 15 or whatever you see, hey, that person's facial expression or their intonation is triggering this. So you then talk to that person and say, okay, when you do this, this is what happens. Do you mind? I know it's not you. It's not your fault. But that is a trigger for me. So I have to do this in order to cope with that. And then you've got to be honest. That's It's those conversations that then can help you. And as you progress through and become healed over time, it might take multiple 63-day cycles, those triggers become less and less troublesome and your antidotes become stronger and stronger. 
and eventually you can get to the point where you can, even if that is a triggering environment, you can be in more in control. So there is hope there. This is why I think it is so important to understand the neurocycle and how neuroplasticity works because with the technology that we have, everyone is using the emotional triggers and tools to get our attention because they know it works. Exactly. And we're being bombarded more so with these triggers than ever before. Absolutely. In our history. And because of that, we have to be able to clean up that mental message you said because we're being bombarded by these things constantly. And if you don't understand what those triggers are, as you mentioned, it's going to bring your impulsivity up and drop the wisdom and where you're behaving in a manner that you wouldn't normally Yeah, you'll show up badly. Behaving. And what's so interesting about that is you're mentioning the triggers and some of your resources I brought up were emotional triggers of always and never and and these words that marketing uses. That's a direct example of marketing, understanding emotional triggers and using them, but without being marketed to 24-7 while we're standing in front of our computers, we rarely encounter those sort of emotional triggers unless we're in a heated conversation with somebody in our life. But as we go about our day, there's nobody trying to get our attention in that manner. But the minute we open our laptop, it's straight in our face. And If we're going to find the capacity to go after our goals and our desires, we're going to have to learn how to manage our mind more than ever. Oh, absolutely. Well, it drives everything. I love the point that you made there, and it's so relevant because we have to manage technology, which is one of the contributing factors to people (laughs) dying younger because we just are bombarded and we can discipline and control it, but no one's teaching it. No one's saying this is what you do. You know, and people say, give yourself a, you know, a cell phone fast or a technology fast. It's not just a one-off thing. It is actually how do you manage it exactly? It's the whole mindset, like the gym and, you know, the exercise and it's the mindset I'm going to go in and if I see something's triggering me, I'm not going to look at that feed. You know, if I'm seeing an article or a bunch of articles and I'm like 15 minutes and I'm scrolling through and I'm getting mad, recognize the triggers. That's not good for you. It's not going to help you. So, you know, you can select one, whatever. There's so many ways that we can manage that. And that's where the neurocycle is fantastic because you can quickly pick up where the, the technology triggers are and you can kind of catch those and get them under control because it just translates as you do, every time you do it, the more you do it, like anything, 60 three days of neurocycle you are a neurocyclist seriously and your self-regulation has increased to the point where you it's almost like unrecognizable people will turn around and say i'll have what you're having i mean literally that's what people have noticed as they start doing this and there's just that acceptance that you can make a mess it's okay but as long as you do something about it and when you clean up that mental mess, you actually are a better person in every relationship in your life. Exactly. It's your responsibility to manage that mess. It's not put it on others, expect others to just deal with you. You need to deal with yourself. Our last question for you, we love asking every guest who joins us, what is your X factor? What is that mindset or skill set that makes you so successful? I think you know my answer. It's self-regulation. That is key. Because if you self-regulate 
you can see what you're doing and you can manage it. So self-regulating my thinking, feeling, choosing. So it's mind management. That's my X factor. It's absolutely changed my life. Going from being a therapist, teaching people in a therapeutic context to actually applying it in my life as a purse, a woman, a mother, a wife, and just in the work that I do, that has been transformational. Thank you so much for the great examples and the props. We're so excited <laughs> for everyone to enjoy the video version of this podcast. This is such a great conversation. If anyone's just listening, the picture of the damaged, <laughs> rotten tree is going is. to be burnt in my, in my mind. And it's such a good visual representation of what's going on there. I'm ready to start pruning my forest. Thank you so much, Dr. Lee. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. AJ, I got to say, her excitement came through on this podcast, and I hope our listeners were able to follow along. There was a few things that she was holding up, and those in YouTube will be able to see it. One was a skull that had a brain in it, and the other was a tree, and there was a few other pieces she held up her book, and I hope that translated to you guys out there in podcast land. I know it's one of our favorite subjects, neuroplasticity, and how we can actually rewire our brains for success. And I love that she's so open and honest about her own mental mess, as we all have it. And it's so aspirational to know even the experts struggle with these things. But it's all about learning the tools to be more successful. AJ, we got a shout out here from a place that I've never heard of before. And I'm going to have to do some researching, but I'm going to read it to you. It's from Joe Tate. And she says, hey, guys. I hope both of you are well and happy. I just wanted to say that I've discovered your fabulous podcast and absolutely love listening to it. I'm listening all the way from Isle of Man. You maybe not have heard of this gorgeous little island, but just wanted to let you know that you are making a difference in faraway places. Well, thank you, Joe Tate. And as I said, I'm going to be reading up on Isle of Man. AJ, what do you know of this faraway destination? I'd have to Google it, to be honest, but I'm excited <laughs> about the fact that the podcast is worldwide and we have so many listeners all over the world who share their praises. We would love to hear from you wherever on this globe you are. You can share your thoughts, feelings, or ask us questions at questions at theartofcharm.com or find us on social media at The Art of Charm on your favorite social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Be sure to tag us. We'll definitely share it. That's right. If you had a favorite part of this show, take a screenshot and tag us at The Art of Charm. We love sharing it with our audience and seeing what parts of each episode you enjoyed. Are you tired of settling for anything less than extraordinary? Do you know that you deserve more from your relationships, career, and life? Well, you can work directly with us to unlock your X factor to succeed in business, love, and life. Hidden inside of you is the potential to build your dream life, an extraordinary career, relationships, and lifestyle. You just need a way to unlock it. Because let's face it, you deserve more than unsatisfying work, lackluster relationships, or even worse, boring nights and weekends. It's time to unleash your inner superhero. Join our X Factor Accelerator and get mentorship from me and AJ for an entire year. From promotions and raises to engagements, we are proud of our X-Factor Accelerator members. We can't wait for you to join. Head over to unlockyourxfactor.com to apply today. 
That's right. Unlockyourxfactor.com to apply to join our incredible mentorship group today. Before we go, could you do us and the entire team here a huge favor? Open up Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Rate this show and let us know how much you enjoyed the podcast. It means the world to us and it helps amazing guests like Dr. Lee find us. The Art of Charm podcast is produced by Michael Harold and Eric Montgomery. Until next week, I'm Johnny. And I'm AJ. Have an epic week.